Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to The Come Up. I'm your host, Nell, with your co-host, Lachelle, and today we have a very special guest. We have Larry Simmons, who is the founder and CEO of At Risk Entertainment. That's a film production company, and we've got so much to talk about with Larry. Larry's done some big things in the past over his 20-year uh, career in producing films. Uh, Larry's uh, had many won many awards and had a lot of recognition and uh, Larry's out of out of Michigan uh, and so we're looking forward to talking to him so let's get started uh, the last time I really we really talked you were telling me about a big uh, and I know we're not gonna really talk too much about that but you were telling me about a big project that you're working on and I, that should have appeal to different generations of African-Americans. Seems like it's going to be a really big success. So uh, before we talk about that, we're probably not going to talk much about that. What I did want you to do is just start off by talking a little bit about your background and how you got started. How does a person from Detroit uh, get started in the movie making industry? Talk about that. Well, I guess the first thing is you got to, figure out what you have fallen in love with, if that wow, makes sense. Okay. Um, I was athlete, played ball at um, McKenzie High School. Um, when football, I, what'd you do? At McKenzie, I played all three sports. Um, okay. I went out to U University of Nevada, Las Vegas to to potentially walk on to play um, football um, because it was a last-minute decision. But they kind of already had their recruits and everything lined up. They did give me an opportunity to do a walk-on, but they wanted me to basically go over the wide receiver and not quarterback. A quarterback is kind of what I was, you know, what I was. So I eventually – here to uh, play at Wayne State, <laughs> and I and I, I bring up this athletics because that's kind of where all of this stuff really started with athletics. Um, I, I I was in the music industry um, for many years. Um, while in the music industry, um, I I began to when you, when you're in the music industry, you're dealing with. Um, music videos and characters and stuff like that. And I've always wanted to to be involved in the uh, film industry. But mm -hmm. being in the music industry allowed me a chance to see how just the industry, entertainment industry as a whole, worked. Uh, in, 19, uh, in the late 80s, um, I had a chance to, ha I had a record out, well, it was really a, a tape, but you always say record, but I had a, I had a, had a release and it got to Gerald Levert. And Gerald Levert was the uh, son um, of Eddie Levert Sr., who was the OJs. Oh, yeah. So yeah. They, they heard the tape and they, you know, they told the guy that gave him the tape, man, you know, uh, this guy's, this guy's, uh, He's got some potential here, man. We love to meet him. That they didn't tell him I was in Detroit. 
that's just something you don't do. If you, you know, if you're in the industry, you make your presence known later. No. Right. I jumped in my car, I think a couple days later, and we went to Cleveland. And what happened at Cleveland kind of guided me towards where I am now because they were kind of giving me, showing me the ropes, telling me how you succeed in the music business, kind of, you know, shaping me and grooming me and telling me, you know, exactly what was going on. Now, a few years later, uh, and, and I began shooting music videos and doing stuff myself. So, uh, I think Gerald, Gerald, at the time, Gerald's group was him, Sean, uh, Levert, and Mark. Um, and they had a group called Levert. And they eventually... So, I guess the reason 1993-94 was important was because at that time, I had done several music videos. I had I was very familiar with various cameras, the Airflex cameras that we were using. And a buddy of mine, uh, Derek Carr, had he was in the NFL and he was playing with the Redskins, I believe, at that time. But he came in town and he said, "I got to find Larry. We got to try to put a movie together." Um, and basically, it was a, he had wrote a script and he wanted to fund and produce a film in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So he was buddies with uh, Terry Crews, who was from Flint. Mm-hmm. And they basically got together and we shot this movie, just an independent film right here in the, in the, in the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, the movie was never released. Um but Terry was able to take the film and leverage it and begin to get acting roles and what have you. And then his career obviously took off and he became the dad on Everybody Hates Chris. And mm-hmm. I think he went to Brooklyn Nine, Brooklyn Nine, Nine, I guess it's called. This is his last TV yeah, show. Terry, and Terry, Terry, Terry's done quite a bit in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. He's been in, in Expendables, White Chicks, uh, Deliver Us from Eva. I mean, he's done a ton of movies. Yeah. Yeah, training days. Yeah, it was training day. Yep, and I remember the first film he did. Um, I think it was called The Sixth Day. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger? But he just walked around in a leather jacket. I don't think he said a word, but his presence was known. But well, I'm uh, going to take you. I'm going to go back with Terry. See, uh, I went to Western. Yeah, that's where he went. Yep, played Terry football there. Western and at Western under Leroy Jones. Uh, a lot of people were getting introduced to black film, the history of black film. And I remember Terry doing some acting way back then. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I didn't know him, you know, at that point, I, I didn't meet him to Derek brought him around when we were doing the film, but um, yeah, man, that's kind of where we kind of kicked the doors open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been writing and doing things ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all started with music. Yes. Music yep. videos. Yep. Okay. Yep. Right. Because it's basically the same um, for anybody out there. It's the same. Um, you, you basically develop and do everything the same. It's just a shorter piece. A music video is sort of like a short film. Okay. It's all the same processes, except it's a short film. 
Now, keep in mind, there, there's, you know, a lot. Nowadays, you got people, they'll shoot something. and There was no YouTube or anything like that back in the day. And anything you did, it had to go through all of the processes to make sure that it passed what's called QC, quality control. And if it didn't do that, you couldn't even think about getting on MTV or BET or there was something called Music Box. Um, those were the, were, the, were the formats. And then even with those formats, everybody couldn't do it. You know, there was, there was for whatever reasons, it, they obviously couldn't play everybody's stuff. But yeah, man, I basically been doing this. Um, <laughs> I've been doing this pretty much all my life. So Larry, Larry Simmons, I tell you, you, you are the, you are one of the men in Detroit that people look, look up to in this film uh, production industry. Tell us, break it down for us, Larry. Tell us the components that go into producing a quality film. Okay. Break it down. Well, first of all, you have to have a story. You have to have a story that, you know, you feel needs to be told. It has to be told. You have a burning desire and it could be pretty much any story. It doesn't, when you, when you think about cinema, it doesn't matter. Most movies are based upon a simple story. There's a hero that was somebody that we call the protagonist and they have a primary goal. Um, in that primary goal, the, the hero has two journeys he has a outer journey that he wants to save um, the world from crashing into the sun and an inner journey. When he was little, he was afraid of fire. And usually if it's a good story, the hero will resolve his inner journey while trying to solve the outer journey. So you, you, when you go into this, you know, it's, it's all a story and nothing else. You find a good story, and then once you find a story that you want to tell, it's about executing the story on paper. So you go in and you, you figure, okay, I want to tell a story about how my grandmother, um, you know, they told her that she passed the fifth grade and she dropped out of school, but she went back to school at and got it just just picking that up well you start off with the person that the story is about and then you start building and you, you collect your notes and you do all your research because research is very important even if it's a fictitious story you're going to want to make sure that everything that you do as far as the, the research <clears throat> excuse me is you don't want to you don't want to have stuff in there that makes the audience go, well, wait a minute, that's not true. Because the audience will, <laughs> they will. Yeah, that's not consistent with that, that era or whatever. I, I see what yeah, saying. I mean, it, it, there's a difference. Like, I, I hate to, I don't want to bring the name of the uh, network, but if I, I'm, I'm going to skip around the network, but there's a network that caused itself the, the network for... Well, I just I'll put it to you this way. All their movies are the same and 
the, the, the I was going to ask you about that. You just okay? Go ahead. Yeah, the, their movies are the same, and if somebody hits you on the head, you're knocked out in every movie. <laughs> and and now you talk, you talked about and I I got you there. Now you talked about storytelling. Why is it that so many of the stories are the same in Hollywood? Well, they say that, they say there's only a handful of stories. I, I I believe there's only one or two stories, and there's just a million different ways you can tell them. But because uh, we talk about Hollywood, and we talk about a whole different thing, because they believe in at this point of the game. In the last 20 years, they're about numbers. A lot of the studios are ran by attorneys. And it's, it's very rare that people come up the ranks anymore and run the studio. So they're going to go on intellectual. They go on intellectual properties. They go on sequels. They try to, <laughs> they try to give themselves a, a, a sure bet. And, and a lot of times they, you know, even though they say, you know, you can be in films and they tell you you got to be different, you have to be unique. And that's the way it is. But then when you get in executive, they say, okay, that's great. We love the thing that you wrote while you were at USC, but here's what we want you to write for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's a derivative story about something that, you know, that's going to look like something you've seen over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're into the business of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand why, but that's why I went out as I, as both of you guys know, I went out to get my own financing and that way. And it's just like Tyler Perry did those that have went out to do that, which is not easy, but you have a better shot at doing the, what you feel is, you know, going to be what you want to stand behind other than going in and say, Hey, can you hire me to write something for you? So you know? Speak- Speak to the perspective of the African-American audience and some of the stories that may resonate with the African-American audience. And how do you, you know, we, we're, you're coming out of a different experience than, you know, a, a, a other, you know, uh, producers. And, and, and so talk, talk about the African-American stories. Well, Here's 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 what here's the way I look at this. There's there's been an influx of slave movies. You know, you had Twelve Years a Slave. Um, you had you, you've had a lot of movies about slaves, and and much respect due because we we always want to hear stories of people that that haven't been told. Mm-hmm. But today's audience, today's audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm just going on, keep, you know, I keep my ears open and I listen to a lot of, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of uh, feedback from the, from the people who are listening. And I think the audience is getting kind of tired of seeing African-Americans breaking out of bondage and, you know, getting beat up and getting cursed out. And then, you know, down the road, halfway through the movie, they, they you know, they start fighting back. And and I think they want to see the hero movie. Again. They want to see like John Shaft. <laughs> you know, oh, they yeah. want to yeah. see us winning. They're, they're a little tired of the movies where we get beat across the head. And, you know, I'd be good. And, then, you know, yeah, the hero wins down the road. But, you know, the, the audiences today are complaining. 
I, I, I wouldn't sit here and say that I know what all these men want because you just never know what it, you know what anybody wants to see on Friday, Saturday, and, Tuesday, but Thursday. Of, but you're speaking of the African American audience. You're an expert on the African American audience, and so you can speak to what the African American audience might want. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, from what I'm hearing, and I'm, and again, I don't want to try to speak for everybody, but from what I'm hearing from, from the African-American consumers is they, they're kind of tired of seeing us, you know, lose. They want to see the superhero black man, a black woman. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I did with this project that I'm developing is, you know, by no means. I mean, it's it's a biopic. It's it's from the, you know, 1940s. It starts out out actually in 1929, but most of the movie is in the 1940s. And you know, during this period, and and that's what interested me in the story is from what my grandfather told me, and the the son of the. Um, person that we're doing the biopic on is still alive he's 75 years old mm-hmm. and he said they weren't hurting for no money ever wow ever okay. you could not come in a town which is harlem mm-hmm. you know i can't say that much you couldn't come in a town and um um and hazel scott i can mention the project who the project is it's on hazel scott it's hazel scott and, and they they were about their business, man. I mean, she, they were driving Studebakers and mm-hmm. they had cloak hats and they were doing their thing, mm. you know, mm. they were doing their thing. And that's kind of why I've gotten as far as I've gotten, because I've let everybody know this is not a movie about somebody in rags or mm-hmm. a red. It's not a rags to riches story. Yeah. You know, every story has a theme. And that's another thing for any young people listening. Every story has a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the rich the rich get richer. There's no place like home. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, such and such and such. Um, mm-hmm. One of the greatest stories ever told was The Wizard of Oz. And the theme of The Wizard of Oz is there's no place like home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, you know. I'm really, really, we're really excited to, uh, you know, one day soon see this uh, story when it's released see this film it's, I, I think it's going to be amazing i do i know you, you have a lot of passion for it too so yeah um i mean i've been putting a lot of hours into this thing um willfully so um it, it's been a fun ride and I, I just didn't know that as i mentioned to you in the email that when you got one piece of the puzzle there's like 15 other pieces of the puzzle <laughs> mm-hmm. that you need to put together to even, well, you know. Well, speak to that directly as it relates to investment in uh, these movie projects. I know you and I have talked about that extensively. So t- talk about that for the budding, you know, film producer, film director. How does that investment piece impact uh, how quickly a project can really get off the ground? Well, well, it's huge. I mean, I guess the first thing I'll say is um, – Without money, the films, none of these movies get made. None of the movies that, um, and again, you could take the money that's in your pocket or the money that you and your, your friends have, your colleagues, and put something together and it could be a masterpiece. But the, the thing about raising um, capital to do something that 
you know, where you're going to get names of people that are in bigger budget stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think anybody can do. You, you just have to have the, you got to have that. And, and that's where I thought sports was important. And that's why I started with that. But I have that fourth and inches It's fourth down. We got, we on, we on the one inch line and we got to score a touchdown. And this is our last possession. Our season's over if we don't score here. And you have to have that mentality to get it done. So speaking exactly to it, so some filmmakers can understand, if you're out there and you have a project, you know, and let's say first you got to understand what the costs are to be able to, you know, uh, fixate and put together a budget. And you have a project and you got to do a breakdown and you look at, um, you know, how many days it's going to take to shoot this thing. And you go through all of that stuff and you do uh, a you do a, a top sheet budget. You get all, all the prices together, you get all the costs together and then you figure out, OK, this is what it's going to cost to produce this thing. Now, that's not to release it or any of that. So I want it's very important. That's just to produce the film. So one element is developing the film. Another element is pre-production. Another element is producing when you're on set, shooting, filming. Another element, another element is post-production. And the next, the last one is called P&A and then releasing the film. So let, let me ask you this: When a uh, film studio, you know, looks at a project, what amount of return on investment are they looking to get? I mean, what, what's ex- what's an acceptable return on investment? Some studios, if they break even, they're happy with that. They're happy with that because they'll tell you that they're only going to that they feel you know this story needs to be told so they they tell a story they break even they're happy and i i, I can't for you know for the you know for the stockholders <laughs> but sometimes most movies i will say this i'm glad you brought that up most movies lose money most movies lose money and that's kind of why you have to love this and you have to understand it. And that's why as, as, as when you and I met, you know, I, I, that's why I told you it's very hard to get investment in this industry. Although you see the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, you see the Academy Awards and you see, well, wow, this movie made a, you know, Black Panther made a billion dollars, but there's probably a hundred movies that lost money at that studio. Mm-hmm. So that's, that- that kind of reminds me of college sports, right? And you know how people talk about how college sports generate so much right. money for the university right. when it's really only two or three college sports that generate the bulk of the right. money. And the, the rest of the sports are really you know, surviving on football. Like, you know, let's take the University of Michigan, for example. You know, the University of Michigan's football team carries all the other sports right. that the university that he has right so without you remove the university of michigan's football team and the other 
it, they don't they don't even matter. They're not worth having in terms of generating it, you know, revenue. Right. Because the because baseball is not generating, you know, it's not on. They, they don't have nationwide TV. They don't have national TV. You know, their hockey doesn't. The football and the basketball programs kind of paved the way for everything else. Everything yep. else, right? So it, it allows everything else to right. exist. But we could also say that with Ford Motor Company, the F one fifty. In the exp- the explore yeah. <laughs> drive everything else, right. you could say that at Kroger's right. they have probably about 150 items out of the 600 items that sell constantly. You know, it's pretty much that way in any business. It's the same with if you want to go to the Imagine Theater, they probably have two or three movies that people are going to pack the house and buy lots of popcorn and. Uh, drinks and stuff and they got some movies that there's only 15 people watching so it's, it's the 80 20 rule uh, across the board it's like it's like uh everybody's talking about nba even though because of this michael jordan release and it's kind of like you, you know I, I remember in the 90s when jordan played and people talked about how jordan pretty much was the nba because he drove up revenue for the entire NBA right? with TV deals and, and, and things like that and with the big endorsements. And so it, it really is an 80, 20 rule in the movie industry. Is what you're yeah. Saying. I mean, everybody's looking for that black Panther. They're looking for that get out. They spent 5 million making get out. And they made over 200 million. That's wow. why everybody. <laughs> now, I was familiar with the, the Black Panthers revenue, just all the revenue it generated, but I was not aware of the Get Out. Did yeah, well. yeah, five million they spent, um, and it made two hundred million. Yeah, so wow. the numbers just don't lie. I mean, you can you put up five million, and out of the two hundred million, I, I, I believe. Uh, there's a large percentage that went. Well, there's a percentage that go to goes to the theaters, the exhibitors, but uh, half of that money is going to the producers and you know the studio. So, yeah. So let 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 me let me pivot a little bit. We, I mean, we talk we're talking about revenue. Yeah. How do you, of course you and I have talked about this before, but we know that the stars sort of attract the people. How do you sell a big star, a big name actor uh, on your project? Because that, that's a big part of it. You know? Yeah, well, here's, here's, here's the thing. It's a very tricky, tricky business. You have to be a gambling man or woman to get in the movie business. You have to be kind of half crazy <laughs> and you got to be a gambler. Yep. You have to be because they'll, most studio execs will tell you that's not true. Because, yeah, they'll tell you, well, you have this star, that star, what else you got? Yeah, because if you think about it, they've had a lot of movies that bomb, too. You know, I don't want to say names, obviously, because I love all these guys, but they have movies that bomb as well. And and what it's about, that's why you want to start with the best possible story. Mm -hmm. I saw this movie at 
the Toronto International Film Festival back in September, and I think I believe it was released in January or February. It's called The Platform. Not only is there no stars in it, it's not even in English. Okay. I've watched this movie subtitle, and I've watched this movie probably three or four times. Really? Excellent. Yeah, The Platform. And when you leave the house, and, and another thing, before we get a, a touch on revenue, like exactly how the revenue game and part of this plays out, when you leave the home, your home and you say, I'm going to spend $10 or $20 on two tickets to see uh, XXX, whatever, this movie, XYZ, ABC, whatever, mm-hmm. you, you better be entertained, moved, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So really doesn't come down to who's in it mm-hmm. as much as it comes down to the timing. And that's why they call it movie magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, you don't know, man. You you got mm-hmm. you, it's mm-hmm. just it's just one of them things where you roll the dice and you hope that the casting and some movies are just perfect. You ever watch a movie? I thought Carlito's Way was perfect. Mm-hmm. Without I remember that. Yeah, that was that was, was, was and Carlito and Sean Penn and just the way. Mm-hmm. The way it was, but, 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 but those guys were, you know, they they were kind of big. I mean, they were huge names back then. But no, 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 no. Only Al Pacino. All those other guys were nobody then. Sean Penn was, yeah, he was known, but you had Al Pacino, and you had Sean Penn. Nobody right. knew who uh, anybody else was. Yeah, yeah. You got a good point. You got a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's it, there is some magic to it. So, but yeah, I never really considered that. Most movies yeah. do lose money. Yeah, okay. Denzel Washington did um, uh, Roman uh, Roman J Israel Esquire. Beautiful movie, but it didn't just didn't do the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that, and that was a very different movie for Denzel. Yeah. So yeah, I think people probably uh, I agree it was a great movie, but. I think people were a little uncomfortable with Den- seeing Denzel in that uh, that role, right? They're used to seeing him in a big. It is a different kind of role, right? Leading man kind of role. Right, right. Well, the thing is, he's if you think about it, he's done different. I mean, we can't really count the Equalizer Part One and Part Two, Part Three, but mm-hmm. when he does a movie, he's trying to play a different guy in every movie. When you think about Malcolm X, I think Malcolm Mm -hmm. X and the hurricane were two similar, two similar films. But when you think about, yeah, when you think about outside of that training day, um, glory, when you, when you think of the roles that he's chosen, Mm -hmm. they're, they're definitely, he has a way of Mm -hmm. the Denzel touch in it. That goes, that's my man. But he's playing a different guy, or he wouldn't do it. He'll tell you that. You know, he he said the difference in, in him and another actor he may have started out with. He always says it's the it's the decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, not only the decisions on the roles that you choose, but the decisions on who you decide to do these projects with. That's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. 
as as I told you in the email, I have a project that was done with one particular district because we can talk, talk about some of the stuff that came in, you know. It was done one particular distributor, and they, you know, they pretty much just sat on the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The contract ended. Another distributor goes, "Hey, man, uh, they didn't do anything with this project." I go, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> they said, wow. "Well, hey, man, we love to get it, a, get us a shot." Uh-huh. And then, boom, you know, we signed a deal with them. You know, so it 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 comes down to you know the haves and the have-nots. It comes you- down to. Mm-hmm. To the story, uh, who you have in it can attract other actors. Does that make any sense? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it doesn't necessarily be success on raising money and this and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of di- the distribution side of it, it, it really is a haves and have-nots, right? Because you know the companies may still be- they may actually believe in you, but if they don't have it in the budget to really distribute it and, and really invest the way you need it uh, invested in, then, you know, they're going to sit on it. Right. And I like to, I like to touch on that because I ran into, I, I, I mean, you can have the money. Let's say you got the money, right. Mm-hmm. And then you go to a distributor. I thought you can just knock on the door and say, Hey man, we got the money. But the, the problem is, is that for the, for the studios, cause you got, Mid-level distributors, you got small ones, you got mid-level, and then you got the studios. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, Universal Pictures, you know, Sony. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that they have to spend P&A money. Mm-hmm. If they don't spend P&A money, nobody's going to know about it. And you can put every star under the sun, but if nobody promotes it, prints and ads is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to know about it. And, and what, what else print, prints and ads used to be used for was every theater has a print. Mm-hmm. And the prints are, they, they cost. So if you're going to go to 2,000 theaters mm-hmm. and each print, and you know, back then, let's say it costs $1,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's that, $2 million? Right. The right. just That's print. That's just in well, print. That ain't counting ads. You know, ads on ABC, ads on NBC, ads on CBS, ads on MTV. This is, I'm talking pre-internet ads, you know, posters on the 105, posters on I-94, posters on I-75, right. only up here, I-75 in Tennessee, I-75 down in Miami. You got you to right. do, you know, so what happens is they're going to spend, if it's a, let's say it's a $10 million movie, they're going to be spending $5 million on prints and ads. Right. That, 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 that uh, takes me back to Top Gun and, you know, Distinguished Gentlemen and things like those kind of movies. I remember seeing Top Gun on the side of buses and, yeah. you know, things like that. Right? But, radio ads, you know, people, radio ads. Right. I don't even know if they do them as much. It would not as you have internet, but you had you would be listening to a radio station. You would hear a new movie coming out, and that's kind of how we knew that they were coming. And then late at night, right. you might catch the trailer. You know, whether it was Saw or you know a Will Smith movie. You go, hey, I heard about that on the radio, right. and they're hoping that all of that promotion 
grabs you, whether you're at school, at work, on the way home, on the way to somewhere. And they're, they're banking on that because a movie, they call a movie open. When a movie opens, they say a movie's not going to open if nobody knows about it, meaning nobody's going to go see it if they don't know it exists, no matter who's in it. You know the word. So let me let, let 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 me pivot just a little bit, Larry. Let me pivot because I know there are going to be people listening who think about Tyler. They're going to think in, you know, they're they're going to reflect on Tyler Perry and how he got started, right? Right, or Spike Lee and how he got started. I think the I don't know if this is a myth or reality, but some uh, I thought I saw something about how Spike Lee started. Uh, uh, what was that movie? Not do the right thing. This is before do the right thing. Well, his first movie was Bed Stuy Barbershop. We cut heads. Okay. Then he okay. did. Okay. She's she got to have it. it. Then he did School Days. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. But I, I thought someone said he started with like a twenty thousand dollar budget, credit card from credit cards, and 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 he was off and running from there. Right and. And his started, first movie because yeah. she's got to have it I think the budget was I think he had 175000 he raised or something like that okay. which was like a million dollars in the 80s which was like a million yeah right right and then he, who did he have Lawrence Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne's been there from the beginning with Spike Lee Lawrence Fishburne was and then she's got to have it that was just oh. a bunch of friends from Morehouse or from the New York area oh, yeah Right. Yeah. So, school days was when um, Lawrence Fishburne came on the scene. At that point, Spike had, I believe, he had Columbia Pictures. He had a studio behind him at, the, at that okay. point. Okay. But. What what and you you bring up something interesting because let's talk about. Spike Lee, Tyler Perry, and Jordan Peele. Three totally different. Right. Spike Lee was the 80s, mm-hmm. Tyler Perry, late 90s, Jordan Peele now. Right. Jordan Peele went from Get Out. Now, keep in mind, he had Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. They were a comedy act doing stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And now he's, he's probably generated, you know. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of money. Yeah. A half a billion dollars easy. Right. Us, he's, he's um, commodity at this get yeah, yeah, he has own his own deal at Universal now. He's set up over there, but the principles of all three are the same. Because the whole point of this is to encourage the young, any young people up and coming. The principle I want anybody listening to understand between Tyler Perry, Spike Lee, and Jordan Peele is the same. Like you said. Whether it's a couple credit cards or putting something on YouTube, it's the same thing. And I want kids to not be afraid and understand you don't need, you know, you don't need what Spike needed to get started. He he paved the way. So when Tyler Perry knew when he was doing those plays that there was a huge opportunity, mm-hmm. he knew it. Mm-hmm. He knew he had the audience and see when he finally did say, we're going to put this. And that's because he said, you know, I listened to actually the other day. People were asking him, how did he make the jump to cinema? And he said the audience was asking for it. Mm-hmm. They were asking for it. This need to be a movie, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there, was, there definitely was a following. I mean, I remember back in the early two, probably like two thousand one or two, uh, was in Chicago hanging out for the weekend, and uh, we were looking for something to do. Went to a Spike Lee or Spike Lee, uh, Tyler Perry uh, uh, movie at the time at, at, at one of the uh, spots there on the south side of Chicago, and it was packed. Mm-hmm. It was packed out. <laughs> Right. And uh, yeah, I was the first. That was like my first introduction to that kind of experience. It was nice, though. Right. Yeah. Right. I knew we had something then. Right. And the thing is, you know, I know people listening are going to say, "Well, my buddy made a film with credit cards," or I- I've seen a lot of movies on YouTube that made they were made with credit cards, or people they were made independently, and they haven't made the same impact. But what I'm here to tell anybody is there's a difference. You know, I remember a guy telling me, the guy who did um, all my audio, he did all my audio posts, uh, Angelo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Panetta, uh, yeah, Angelo Panetta. And he says, Larry, I'm very proud of you. He said, a lot of filmmakers quit at some level of the, of the game. Or they quit before they get to the top of the stairs. They either shoot it and they say, this is good enough, stick it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Or they shoot it and say, man, they watch it. Yeah, I know that the, the mic is in the way. I know that wasn't lit right, but this just going on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They shoot it and fix those things, but then don't fix the audio. Mm-hmm. But those that go the furthest complete what they started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They complete what they started. You have to, whether you have $20 or $200,000 or $2 million, you have to treat it like you care enough about the audience that they're going to catch that or they're going to hear and not like that. Or like Carmen said, you know, uh, we need the volume to be perfect. We want the audience to, you have to be that type of perfectionist. That's what separates the Jay-Z's from a guy coming up that just can't break through. Or Tyler Perry from a filmmaker over here that can't break through. Mm -hmm. Or Spike Lee or anybody. Mm -hmm. It's being a perfectionist and being that person that's going to put that 10,000 hours in before he even says, yes, I'm ready now. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. see, well, technology is wow. It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. Now, now, you must have read, uh, what's that book? You mentioned 10,000. So you must have 10,000 hours in it. And, and what is the saying that you become an expert at something after doing it for 10,000 hours? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Malcolm uh, Glad was Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I, I yeah, it, 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 I just want to mention that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, what I what I got it from is everybody that's successful says the same thing. Mm-hmm. They maybe they read the book. <laughs> you know what I'm well, saying? Well, it, it, but... it's true. It's the truth. There's yeah. the truth. Right. Means right. You have to put in a lot of work. Right. Right. And and with me, with the way my process works, if I'm writing a screenplay, I usually start at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. I'll write till 7. Mm-hmm. I get my one son off to school. 
Well, I got, I got one in college now, but I, I, how I go is I get one son off to school, get the other one off to school. I write again till lunch. Mm-hmm. I grab me some lunch, go right back to it. And then usually by 2, 2.15, I got one son getting ready to get out of school. Uh, so I get him uh, uh, so he can get his homework done or whatever he needs to do. And I'm usually no good after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything I write in the afternoon or evening when, you know, Regular people are up and their day is going on, and I'm, it's usually garbage. So I don't, I don't even try to attempt to write at that part of the day, unless like I'm on some kind of assignment where there's a deadline. But I still try to write from four a.m. till about two or three p.m. Well, so this and is I do really, that really every good, day. Larry. I'm glad you mentioned this because you know, for for the young people out there, I don't think a lot of people understand. They see the the after effects of success, right? They see success, and but they don't really hear what goes into it. You know what I mean? And so this is the really this is really really good stuff. I mean, you're talking about just the number of hours, how early you wake up, the fact that you're you're waking up and it's a quiet house and it's still dark and you're putting in all that work before you know most people are even out of bed. Right. And and you could not be waking up. You could be a guy coming off of a 10 hour job right. where you're thinking about. It. Right. Right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, well, you're coming off a 10 hour job where you're thinking about because what I like to do is think about it for 10 hours first. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, I sleep on the weekends. I don't sleep during the week. I might get two hours of sleep a day. Maybe. Carmen knows. I used to tell her all the time. Mm-hmm. I sleep on the weekends. Because when I'm writing, I'm thinking about it for most of the evening. The hours that I'm not writing is I'm thinking about it. Because you can be writing and not, you know, I keep a pen and pad everywhere. Let's say I go to Myers, I do this, I do that. I, I move to it, but I'm, I'm, you know, I got notes. I, I don't just sit there and think about it at 4 I can't wait till 4 a.m. so I can start putting down what I've been thinking about all day. So what I understand is you have to, it has to be visualized first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Very then Very if after that, dude, I, I mean, when I do get something done, I go over it probably the time I went mm-hmm. uh, the script 28 before I sent it. Wow. I sent it to check for typos. Well, it's usually at least two or three anyway. Now say that again. You went the script. Did you say twenty-eight times? Twenty times. It took me like seven, eight hours. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I usually go over it about a third, maybe eight, nine times. Mm-hmm. And and each time, and what I'm getting at the reason because you hit something every time. You go, man, how did I miss that? How did I miss this? So then you got to way I work is. Create a PDF and then read it. And then it go, you know, you catch something else. Because for some reason, I can read the PDF better than the actual file for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But after that, I, I send it to my, his name is Tom Porter. Mm-hmm. And he, the first thing his job is to do is read this thing, Tom. And first of all, let me know if it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does this thing make any sense? You know, because you have some writers, they get very sensitive stuff. They don't want anybody telling them this doesn't make any sense or that doesn't make any sense. But to me, mm-hmm. if you're going to, you know, 
write or release movies at the highest levels, man, it's a collaborative effort. It's collaborative. You have to have a team. Yeah. So he, he'll get back to me. It can be notes. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this, and then we're gonna kind of kind of wind it down here. Let me, but let me ask you this. I'm glad you mentioned it is a collaborative effort because a lot of us like to, you know, be this solo kind of Lone Ranger kind of, you know, uh, one man army doing it all. Yeah, that that just doesn't work, does it? I mean that. No. No. You said that in the. uh, Yeah, that doesn't work. No, it don't work. Be this army. No. In fact, yeah. you know, move the move is usually because of that. You, know? uh-huh. you have to have a team, man. I don't care if you're selling clothes, uh-huh. selling records, if you're selling movies, you know, whatever you're doing, you have to have a team. You, you have to have a team. team. Yeah. So let let me ask you this, uh, and then kind of kind of wrap it up here. What imprint are you looking to leave, you know, on the on, on the consumer, on your moviegoers, uh, when you write a script? What story? What 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 are you trying to leave with them? Well, keep in mind every story is different, mm-hmm. but I want one of authenticity. Mm-hmm. I want to portray characters that people have not seen, which is very hard, but it's not impossible. But I want to portray characters that people have not seen. And if I cannot do that, I refuse to do it. And for instance, I I had told guy 15 years ago, because when Terry, Derek and I and, uh, the two other producers, Nikki and Michael, were doing the project that we was doing. It was about a drug organization. It was a drug. It was a fictitious drug organization that was paying homage to Detroit drug dealers back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Story has been done so many times that I had basically said, you know, some years back that I just one thing I probably won't do is a you know, the dope man that's trying to get out of the game. I mean, there's probably a thousand movies. There's probably more than that. You know, that's something I refuse to do. I try to do something that's authentic that hasn't been done before. Now, whether I succeed or not, who knows? But that's what I go after when I go after a project. Mm-hmm. And then, 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 Larry, speak briefly to the state of the industry as we go through this pandemic we're, we're experiencing. Well, I'm glad you gave an opportunity to that because I think this is important Mm -hmm. for anybody out there. Just have hope. I think that people want, I think there is a group of people that want folks to believe that kids are gonna, you know, or anybody consumers are going to gonna just after this, sit in the house and just watch movies all day. To be honest with you, I hate that right now. Mm-hmm. I hate I, I can't wait to get back in the theater. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're going to have to come up with something, whether there's, you know, like the, uh, like it, at the grocery stores, at some of the grocery stores, they put up plexiglass. Like I grew up with plexiglass because I grew up on Joy Road. <laughs> so <laughs> you can go to the store without, you know, without that being up, even back when I was young, you know. But I think that the current state of what the industry is, is 
is all it's the same that it was before this happened because the industry has been here a hundred years if you think about it the industry saw world war one world war two the korean war vietnam and if we if we remember they didn't you know it was pretty much the same thing and and, and i don't know it was before my time now maybe i should know my history but at one point you had tanks riding up and down the street telling people they better stay in the house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, so the industry you make a very good point you make a very very yeah. good point the industry has seen here. this kind of thing before and that's just nothing i'm glad you brought this up because what kind of gets me upset is this is it's been a month. The world, these World War One and World War Two went on for forever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it didn't change the movie industry because people need entertainment. I think that when this is over, to add my last two cents, I think it's going to explode. People are going to want entertainment more than ever. They're going to want to get out of the house. I think streaming is going to drop way down. Because who's going to want to? They've been sitting in the house for a month. <laughs> who's <laughs> Mm-hmm. Do you think people are gonna kind of move away from Netflix instead of? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm. T- aren't you guys? And not no yeah. disrespect to Netflix, but who? Everybody's tired of sitting on the couch, eating. Uh, you know, whatever they're eating, potato chips. Even if they eat salad, people are tired of their homes now. Yes. Yes. I, you know, I, we have I, to I, do I, it because we have to say stay. You know, social distancing and stay stay safe for sure. But when this is over, dude, you, you're not going to be able to keep people in the house. You're right. You are absolutely right. Well, I tell you, Larry, this has been we. You and I can sit. We we can sit and talk about this forever. Uh, I I enjoy what you're doing. Uh, uh, I think you've educated us on uh, the movie making industry and just where we are with this pandemic. And you know, like I said, you and I can sit. We can talk about this forever. Want to definitely invite you back when your project is released and being distributed uh and just talk about that so and it's been a pleasure having you and uh so all right and my and my uh my website is www.atriskent.com a-t-r-i-s-k-e-n-t.com and i'm on instagram at scare the police at scare the police all right. All right. Well, thanks again, Larry. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right, buddy. So thank you for listening to The Come Up. And you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Breaker, Anchor. And you can also email us at topofyourgame06 at gmail.com. Again, you can email us at topofyourgame06 at gmail.com. And feel free to let us know if there's a topic you want us to talk about uh, or uh, something you just want to kind of talk about on a personal level. That's fine.